It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at Play Like a Jet One. And it is day two of the NFL Scouting Combine from Indianapolis. So we bring in our man on the scene covering the NFL Scouting Combine for CNHI Sports and the Herald Bulletin, Mr. George Bremer. George, welcome back to the show. How's everything in Indy today? Better weather? No, worse weather, but that's all good, you know, because <laughs> we're in here. we got the big offensive linemen. They're here to protect us on a day like this. It's all good. I'll tell you somebody who's enjoying himself regardless of what the weather looks like, and that is Makai Becton of Louisville. Anybody who listens to this show knows that I'm a big fan of Becton, and I would be absolutely thrilled to get him at number 11. And honestly, I'd be fine with any of the four top offensive line prospects at number 11. But Makai Becton just happens to be my personal favorite. He was asked today about going to New York and the Jets specifically. He visited with the Jets. He said that the visit went well, said he loves New York, said he feels like he's the best offensive tackle in the draft. You won't go wrong picking me, simple as that. That's what he had to say and also said that he loves the, quote, griminess of playing in New York. Was asked about the Giants, said he hasn't met with them yet. Also asked about his size, says he loves being the biggest offensive lineman. He loves using his size to intimidate guys and knock them to the ground. Pretty sure that's music to Jets fans' ears. And then also he was asked what he would say to prospective coaches and general managers about how they could use him. He said, just line up your running back behind me and run it. I'll do the rest. So this is a guy who is not short on confidence for sure, George. You got to hear him speak today. How did he do up at the podium? Yeah, he did a really nice job. Uh, First of all, he should be proud of uh, being intimidated because He's the amount of a man. And Chuck Rihanna, when he was here in Indy, used to talk about guys that come into the room and knock and block out the sun. And uh, that's Mackay Bacton to, to a T. You know, he comes in and he fills the whole doorway. Uh, I don't know there's many rooms in, in this building here in the convention center he could fit in. It's a good thing that it's kind of a big conference room they're in right now because uh, he's, he's again, yesterday, Mayock, Mike Mayock of the Raiders was talking about the setup at, at Vegas that they're going to have for the draft this year. They're going to put the players on boats and kind of send them out to the stage. And, you know, he was, I think he was joking or at least partly joking. They said a little bit worried there could be a, a mishap with Mackay Becton uh, out there. And then you see him and, and you understand, you know, it, it is probably a legitimate concern. I would imagine so. As I was telling you before we started recording, there's video out there of Makai Becton on a fast break on a basketball court going down the entire length of the court and slam dunking it. I would not have wanted to be the guy in the middle of the lane trying to stop him from dunking. (laughs) No. 
No, I, again, I don't necessarily want to be the guy at the end of the podium right now. I mean, he's, he's a giant man and I'm glad he wasn't angry with anybody today, but, uh, I definitely want to be in his way when he's trying to get through you and, 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 you know, or keep you from, from getting through him. Just so you're aware, six foot seven and three eighths, 364 pounds, 36 inch arms and a reach that is almost 84 inches, which, by the way, is right on par with Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury, the two men who fought for the heavyweight championship of the world over the weekend. So this is a very, very large man. But to be fair, George, these are offensive linemen. They're all going to be pretty big, including Josh Jones. And I thought this was really funny. Josh Jones from the University of Houston had this to say when he was asked about his love of football. He was asked when football came into his life, he said his sophomore year of high school. The follow-up question was, when did he know it was going to be his future? He said his junior year of high school. So this is a guy that knew pretty quickly how much he loved football and that it was going to play a big part in his life. And then this one made me laugh, especially as a Yankee fan, George. He was asked about his Houston Astros tattoo. The question was, is that a Houston Astros tattoo? He said, yes, it is. And I'm not answering any follow-up questions. Probably a smart move by Josh Jones. What did you see from him when he took to the podium today? I'll say right there's good decision-making. I mean, you understand the road <laughs> that you do not want to go down. Uh, and, you know, know your limitations, right? Isn't that one of the big things out there on the field that – as important to know what you can't do as, as it is to know what you can't do. And so uh, that's, that's a really good sign from him. Uh, I think Houston's one of those programs uh, that I don't want to say they're underrated, uh, but I, I think they, they fly under the radar a little bit. They've had a lot of success there the last few years. You see guys come in from the, that school and make a big mark in the league. And I think you see a kid like this with that kind of size, that kind of drive, who's known for as long as he has, you know, what he wants to do. And I think it's going to be really enticing to a lot of general managers in this league. Another guy that's going to be very enticing is an interesting candidate from Division Three. His name is Ben Barch, and he added 70 pounds when he was moved to offensive tackle. Uh, George, I'm going to let you talk a little bit more about what you heard from him in a second, but this is amazing to me. One thing that he did to put on weight was he would consume a shake at his job every day. His job was as a high school strength coach. Listen to what was in this shake. Seven scrambled eggs, cottage cheese, grits, peanut butter, bananas, and Gatorade. And his quote was, I threw it all in, just plugged my nose, gagged sometimes, but that's what you have to do. Now that, George, is a man who is hell-bent on succeeding. <laughs> that's driven right there, yeah. If you're going to put yourself through that, it means something to you. Uh, I think that... He was a really, really interesting guy. I mean, obviously, you get the D3 kids here. They're not here every year, obviously, for a reason. When they do, uh, guys from the lower divisions like that do come in here. There's a lot of attention on them anyway. And I thought Ben Barch was really interesting in talking about some of the what, what people look at as disadvantages of going to a small school. And, and he kind of saw it as a strength. And that is, you know, they don't have the facilities. They don't have the, the, the coaching staff with, with – 500 people. I don't know. I think half the U.S. population is on Nick Saban's staff in some way or another. You know, it's incredible. As big as these these coaching staffs have grown, that's not happening at St. John's University where he's at. And he said it's it's good because you have to have your own personal accountability. You have to have your own drive. I mean, obviously, you're going to drink a shake like that. You've got some some commitment. Uh, but he was talking about you know guys in the bigger school. They walk off the practice field. 
there's somebody handing him a smoothie on the way out, you know, on the way back to the dorm, and it is not happening at St. John's. And so for him, he thought that that personal accountability, needing to go out, do it yourself, find your own workout routine, you know, be your own nutritionist, do those kind of things, going to help him at the next level. Kind of an interesting perspective, I thought. Yeah, for sure, and that's a guy that could be available later in the drafts as somebody to keep your eye on, both for the Colts and the Jets, because both of them are probably going to be looking for offensive linemen, not only on day one or two, but day three as well. Another one high up on the list is George's Andrew Thomas, and this is a guy that I think has really mastered the art of being the politician here at the Combine, because he was asked about playing for the Browns, and he said he would love to block for Baker Mayfield and for his old buddy Nick Chubb again. Also said it would be an honor to replace Joe Thomas. Then he was asked about the Jets, said nice things there. He's already talked with the Jets this week. And then he was talking about what he can improve upon and how he can mold his game in the pros. So I think this is exactly how you want to approach the combine. We talked yesterday about how Jerry Judy kind of skirted into a little bit of danger by saying the wrong thing. But it sounds like Andrew Thomas is a guy who knows exactly what to say and when to say it. And I think that's one of the things you see with the SEC kids because, you know, there's a lot made about the talent in that league, but it draws a lot of media attention too. And they get here, they're used to this kind of environment. They're used to having, you know, a whole pool of reporters around them instead of maybe one or two guys. And I think you see it. They're so smooth. They're ready with the answers. They, they, they've been coached about what is going to be asked of them and, and how to answer those questions. I think Andrew Thomas is a guy that, there, to me, there's three or four tackles in this draft that I don't think we talked about Beckton earlier. I think he's right there at the top of the list. Andrew Thomas, for me, is right there. Jedrick Wills of Alabama, another SEC guy. And then Tristan Wurst out of Iowa. I think we all know that the Big Ten historically has produced that kind of player. So, uh, to me, it's a good year to be looking for tackles. I think Andrew Thomas, he's showing you he's a guy that's going to be fine in the locker room, that's going to be fine on the field. And, you know, what other boxes are the check right now? And that's the key with a lot of these offensive linemen. And as you said, especially the guys from the SEC, they check a lot of boxes. And we know, as we said yesterday, George, that Joe Douglas is looking to check five different boxes, although they're the most obvious boxes that you can possibly come up with (laughs) for an offensive lineman. And another guy that checks a lot of those boxes and that played in the SEC is Jedrick Wills. He's met with the Giants already. I don't believe he's met with the Jets yet, but he would seem to be another guy that would fit with they want to do he talked a little bit about how he's worked on his versatility the possibility of playing on both the right and the left side he was asked a little bit about meeting with the Broncos and I thought this was funny he said it was a huge thrill for him to meet with John Elway it was a little surreal you got to figure for a lot of these guys I know that some of them are younger and weren't around when somebody like Elway was playing but still to be able to sit there and meet one-on-one with one of the greatest players of all time has to be an incredible experience so talk to me a little bit about what you heard from Jedrick Wills today yeah you know I think he's he's an interesting guy I think this tackle group in general like we were just talking about is interesting but I think what's interesting with him is right now most of the mocks you know the majority of them have him as the first guy going in that offensive line group Uh, but who knows how those four guys are going to check out and I think he is I don't know if it's that Alabama mentality because obviously you go there uh, you know, there's another five-star guy right behind you. You're competing every day. You're competing in everything you do. You take nothing for granted if, if you play for the Crimson Tide because, you know, you'll lose your job the next day if, if you do start to, to back off a little bit. And I think he's taken that with him here. He doesn't sound like a guy who believes 
that he's an automatic top five pick or that, you know, he'll be the first lineman off the board and, and all he has to do is show up. He sounds like a guy, and some of those comments that, that you were mentioning too, you know, kind of illustrate that. He's a guy that's here to show what he can do. He's a guy that's here to work hard, to show that versatility. I think it's important to see because I really think those four linemen, you could probably line them up however you want. They could come out in any order depending on what each specific team, you know, what specific traits they want to see. And I think Wills is a guy who, who's showing you he's not going to rest on his laurels. He's not going to take anything for granted. He's going to go out here and, and try to prove to them why he thinks he should be the first guy off the board. All four of those guys are on a mission to prove that they are the number one offensive lineman in this draft. It reminds me a little bit of the quarterbacks in 2018, whether it was Darnold, Mayfield, or Rosen. There was that jockeying for position, Josh Allen as well, although he was a little bit more divisive. In this case, you've got these four guys, and the fourth one is Tristan Wirfs of Iowa. And before we started recording, you told me that he had some very interesting things to say. Yeah, you know, he's talking about wrestling. His background is there. I mean, I think everybody in Iowa wrestles. Uh, certainly the offensive linemen, it's something throughout the league people talk about it as, as a focal point because there's so much about that sport that helps you, uh, whether it's just the one-on-one battle between you and the other guy, you know, your hand placement, how you use your body, how you shift your weight, all that sort of stuff. And Worse was saying, you know, to him, he thinks it's one of his big advantages. He's been wrestling since he was a really young kid, and he thinks that that's really helped him both in that – kind of gladiator one-on-one mentality, but also in his technique. And again, when we're talking about, you know, eyelashes, the difference between some of these guys, maybe that's the thing for, for one team out there. Maybe that's the thing that makes a difference and makes him their guy. That's always the key. I think a lot of times it depends on scheme versatility. It depends on what the particular coaches are looking for. And it depends on what the needs are in general in terms of, okay, we view this guy as a guard even though he came out as a tackle or this guy is a guard and we think we could shift him to center. And so you see a lot of that with offensive linemen coming out of college, including two guys that are coming out of the University of Washington who have some ties to the Colts coaching staff. And those two are Trey Adams and Nick Harris. Nick Harris, the center that a lot of Jets fans have been talking about, although from what I understand, his stock is starting to slip a little bit after the senior ball. They both took the podium today. What they have to say about what they could do at the pro level? Yeah, Adams is an interesting guy because he's dealing with a, a bunch of injuries. I think he had two straight years there where basically he was, he was on the shelf. One of them was a major knee injury. He's had some back issues, and he's obviously got to come here and prove the teams that he's healthy. But he's a guy that before that happened, before those injuries started to slow him down, he was looked at as a, as a first-round guy, you know, potential first-round talent. And now he's kind of starting over from, I'm not saying from the bottom, but in, in a way he's got to win teams over all over again and show them that he can be on the field, that, that he's durable enough, that he can last. You know, obviously that's that's the key here. You can't have a guy who's breaking down. Uh, that's not going to help out anybody, him <laughs> or the team that drafts him. And so I think that's a really interesting uh, element here for him uh, this week, you know, is the medical. And a lot of the guys are in that boat. But I think Trey Adams is one of the guys at, at the very top of that list. His medical reports, you know, what comes back from the doctors is going to be every bit as important as anything he does, lifting a weight, you know, running, anything else he might do here this week. Uh, Nick Harris was a guy that I thought it sounded very much that you could tell that he's been in that, that Chris Strasser, Howard Mudd school, you know, that he's, he's dealt with that philosophy. He talked a lot about the leadership that's needed from, from offensive linemen, particularly him at the center position. 
but also about finishing blocks, about having that that meanness, that nastiness, you know, that edge to you in your game. And uh, it really it felt like talking to Chris Strauss, the Colts line coach here, talking to Howard Mudd, who was back last year as as a senior consultant. Uh, you're hearing the same things from both him and Adams that you hear from them every day. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Let's go back to the SEC for a second, George. Yasir Durant, the Juco transfer who played at Missouri, was at the Combine. Very big boy. I like the fact that his last name is Durant because at least we'll see somebody with the last name Durant play in the year 2020. So talk to me a little bit about what he had to say here. Yeah, he's a guy that, that people kind of all over the board on, I, I think. And, and he's here to, to show them that he can be consistent. You know, he said a lot of things you would expect in that regard. That he's going to come here and show that he's consistent, that he's dependable, uh, that he's a guy that, that you can stake your future on. Uh, he's another one of these guys, and there seems to be a lot of them in, in this draft class who's played both sides, feels comfortable on both sides. Uh, almost all of them will tell you they'd rather play left tackle. I think everyone who's going to look at their paycheck is going to feel that way too. Uh, so you always kind of probably lean to that that direction. Uh, but he's another guy that, look, you know, there are questions about him here and there, and there always were. This is the time of year where, where we start to kind of deconstruct all these guys and, you know, tear them down, and, and this is why they won't work. Uh, but he's a guy – one of the things that Chris Ballard always emphasizes is sort of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. And he likes guys that transferred up. You know, one of the reasons that they took Rocky Sin last year in the first round was because 
He was at Presbyterian in Division II school, came to Temple, earned a job as a captain in year one, uh, you know, went out there on the field and, and kind of did it, stepped up a level on his own accord and, and made it happen. And I think you see that here uh, with Durant, you know, coming from the JUCO level, going into the SEC and making himself an NFL caliber tackle. There's something to be said for that kind of journey. I think it's something that, that will catch teams' eye. One last SEC tackle I wanted to ask you about is Prince Tego Wanagahu. I think that's how you pronounce it. Forgive me if I got it wrong. He's from Nigeria, and he's actually technically from a family of Nigerian royalty. So I think his uncle may have sent me an email asking for money on AOL back in like 1996. But regardless, he was at the Combine today talking not about his royal family, although I would assume somebody might have asked him a question about that as a joke, but about his aspirations as an NFL offensive lineman. So what did he have to say for himself? He's another guy with a really interesting personal, you know, background story. He, his grandpa was was king of his village, which he said when he came over here to the United States, he, he kind of realized it's more like being the mayor. You know, he's in that group of that town. Uh, so that was an interesting situation. I don't know how many people are. There's a lot of people over here named Prince. I don't know how many of them actually are a Prince. Uh, how many of them, you know, are a Nigerian Prince? So. A uh, very interesting situation for him, but he's a guy that was actually scouted as a basketball player. Somebody, a high school coach in, in Montgomery, Alabama, saw him on tape uh, at a workout that they had done over in Nigeria for basketball, thought that he was raw, but he had some talent, brought him over here as a basketball player. He shows up, and uh, I guess you call it his foster brother, the family that, that, that was hosting him here in Alabama. Uh, the brother in that family was going to football practice, and so – and Prince thought, you know, why not? I'll pack along. And they didn't have shoes that would fit him. He was in size 16 shoes. They didn't have shoes that would fit him. So he was wearing these raggedy shoes. Uh, but he gets out there. He ends up getting on the team. Next thing you know, he gets he gets recruited to Auburn. Uh, he's playing in the SEC. And now here he is at the NFL Combine looking to possibly be drafted. And it's kind of a, a head-spinning uh, trip there for you. I mean, you go from, uh, you know, being – royalty in a, in a Nigerian village to, to maybe coming over and he got a shot of basketball to having a, a future in the NFL. And I, I think he's a guy uh, that some teams will look at and they'll like the fact that, that he doesn't have a long playing history behind him because in some ways, I think he's still a moldable player. He's still learning the game. Uh, in some ways, there's still real high ceiling there. I think that's going to be attractive to, to some of the teams. There were some running backs there today, George, as well, including J.K. Dobbins, who a lot of Jets fans were cursing the name of, not because of anything he did, but because last week, Mike Freeman of Bleacher Report put out a mock draft that had the Jets picking J.K. Dobbins at number 11. I'm willing to bet just about anything that that's not going to happen, but he is a guy that could really help a team's rushing attack. What did he have to say about how he thinks he would translate at the next level? Yeah, he's, uh, he's in a situation where he's been overlooked his whole life, and I think that's one of the things that he's talked about a lot throughout his career. Uh, always kind of the second-best guy, even within the Big Ten. Uh, Jonathan Taylor always got the awards, always got the attention. And uh, you know, Dobbins, as you said, his answer to all that is to go out and be the hardest worker out there and you know prove it on the field. And I think that's something that he's going to try to do again at, at this level. Now it gets harder. Every time you go up, uh, you, you maybe – shake the doubters at one level and every time you go up it's going to be that much harder to do it again he's really well aware of that uh another guy played at obviously ohio state has been in those big stages in those big spotlights i don't think the moment's going to be too big for him 
I did think it was kind of interesting at one point somebody asked him about the rivalry, the personal rivalry between him and Jonathan Taylor. And he started out kind of downplaying it, as you would expect, you know, saying Taylor doesn't play defense. They really weren't going head-to-head. It really wasn't a one-on-one kind of situation. And it was almost like he couldn't help himself. He pivoted kind of halfway through the answer. He said, but if there was a rivalry, I want it because Wisconsin never beat us. So I thought it was kind of a a, a funny, lighthearted moment uh, while he was on the podium today. Since you mentioned Jonathan Taylor, let's talk about him a little bit. And every time I say Jonathan Taylor, maybe because I was around in the 90s, I think of Jonathan Taylor Thomas of Home Improvement fame. But this is not Jonathan Taylor Thomas, the scrawny little actor. This is Jonathan Taylor, the stud running back from Wisconsin. And George, before we started recording, you told me that when Taylor was asked which running back inspired him, he gave a very different answer. Because usually these guys will say Adrian Peterson or LaDainian Tomlinson, Barry Sanders, Emmett Smith, the usual suspects, but not Jonathan Taylor. No, he said Arian Foster. And he said he was a Texans fan growing up because of Arian Foster. But then it was really the depth that he went into on that, too, because a lot of times it's a pretty obvious, you know, constant all-pro Hall of Fame type of guy, and you don't really have to, to dig very deep to find out why that this guy was, was you know, so admired by, by whatever the prospect is. Taylor was talking about very specific things, about the size. You know, both he and Foster have similar size, their running styles, the way they make certain moves because of that size, you know, running – in specific systems, running in specific ways. It was really, it was showing you, I mean, with Taylor, we talk a lot about football intelligence and, you know, football character and things like that. And they matter a lot this time of year. You want to talk about a smart kid. He was basically choosing when, when he was going to Wisconsin, his second choice, as I understand it, was Harvard. And he eventually decided to go to Wisconsin because he was doing some studying and he saw that they were a top 20 academic school. And he thought, well, I can go here and I can still get a degree that I'm really going to be proud of, but I can also compete at the highest level of football or one of the highest levels of football in the Big Ten at the same time. This is a kid that really knows his stuff, has a real plan for the future. Uh, I think he's going to impress a lot of teams when he gets in the interview room. I think that another player who's going to impress a lot of teams on the field and in the interview room, as you just said, is Anthony McFarlane Jr., the running back from Maryland. I think he would probably be a better commentator than his father, too, although that wouldn't really take much, let's be honest. He was at the podium today, and he had some interesting things to say, much like you said with Arian Foster being a little bit of a different answer. McFarlane said that the player that he looks to emulate is Delvin Cook, so I thought that was fascinating. Also hopes to break a 4-4 in the 40-yard dash. And this was very telling if you're a Jets fan because a lot of Jets fans have been talking about McFarlane as a possibility maybe in the third or fourth round. He's very comfortable running behind zone concepts. Great news for the Jets as far as a possible fit because the Jets ran mostly inside zone last year. Says he likes being able to see the space through the chaos. It helps his explosiveness. So tell me a little bit about Anthony McFarlane Jr. Yeah, you know, what struck me was, was how small he is. And I think part of that is because his podium was right next to, to Taylor. So it was kind of interesting. You go back and forth and, and juxtapose. And, and McFarland's really, uh, you know, he's a scat back kind of guy. He's built uh, much, uh, one of the smallest guys I've, I've seen here this year, honestly. Uh, and obviously his game is speed. And that's what he was talking about. You know, he feels like he's very explosive. Uh, there was some question about, you know, did he come out a little bit too early? He had some, I think he had some injury issues that he was dealing with there were people asking the usual question you know should you stay another year in maryland without a health team he said no you know i felt like i'd accomplished everything that i had to at that level and i felt like now was the time and i think that's, that's usually the answer you get 
Uh, but I think it's interesting with a guy like this because, you know, there are going to be questions about can he hold up? You know, is he durable enough uh, at the NFL level? And he's saying, that's not a problem for me. You know, I think I'm smart enough. I know I've been around the game long enough. I know when to take hits, when not to take hits. And I think it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how that plays out over the next few years. Any other news and notes? Any players that stood out to you at the Combine today? Uh, you know, there wasn't interesting because you, you never know about punters. You know, the, it was today's the day the punters and the kickers are coming in, and, and it was a punter from Bucknell. His last name was Peach, and I want to say his first name was Anthony. And if I'm wrong there, I apologize. Uh, but, you know, he, he was really open and, and talking about there's only 32 of these jobs in the league. Everybody's aware of that. You talk about it all the time. You know, 32 jobs in the whole world to get. And he said, realistically, probably 20 teams aren't looking for a punter this year. So he's probably fighting with people, you know, aged from his age coming out, college age kids, you know, coming out of the, in this draft class all the way up to, you know, 40-year-old guys with, with NFL experience for maybe 12 spots. And when you put it like that, it's really an interesting uh, I guess just the position to look at. Uh, but also, he's a guy, another guy with a really good plan off the field. I think he's he's into physics. He he wants to be a teacher uh, down the line. You know, there's a, there's a lot that he can do away from the field. He's got some some good plan Bs. Uh, it's just interesting. You don't think of punters very often uh, when we're at these kind of events. Uh, but they're here. Today was their day too, and, and some of them have some interesting stories as well. George, last sort of business before we go, you had an exclusive interview with Frank Reich, the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts for 20 minutes, and I wanted to talk about this, even though this is a Jets podcast for two reasons. The number one reason is because I wanted to hear Reich's thoughts on re-signing Anthony Costanzo, which broke some hearts here. I think a lot of Jets fans realized that the odds were that Costanzo was going to stay in Indianapolis, but some of us were still holding out hope that he might break free and consider the Jets. That is not happening now. He stays in Indianapolis, but also because... I've always found Frank Reich refreshing in both his honesty and his creativity, and I thought it would be cool to get some insight into his mind so we can compare it to Adam Gase, who is not quite as refreshing and not quite as creative as Frank Reich. So tell me a little bit about your conversation with the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, Frank Reich. Yeah, he's, of course, over the moon right now about the Anthony Sanzo deal. Him and Chris Ballard both, I think, were, were pretty much doing a jig yesterday as they were announcing that here at the combine. Uh, it was a major, major piece for the Colts in this offseason, obviously. Had to make sure that, that uh, all that's going to fall into place because if they didn't get Sanzo back, you're going to be starting over, and, and it's just really not something you want to deal with. Uh, you know full well, uh, when you're already trying to fill perhaps the quarterback hole this offseason, you're already trying to fill some holes on defense, you throw in a left tackle as well, and it was going to make it a really overwhelming offseason. That's something I have to worry about now. They can focus on the other holes and, and look at tackle down the line. Uh, but I think you're, you're absolutely right about, about Frank. I think he's one of the most down-to-earth guys uh, in, in the NFL right now. You know, He's obviously spent most of his career as a backup quarterback. He's seen the game from so many different angles. He took that break uh, you know, about six years uh, where before he got into coaching. Um, it's It's been really interesting to watch him evolve in the last three years, going into year three here in Indianapolis. And I was talking to him today a lot about his influences. You know, guys like Marv Levy, Tony Dungy, who don't necessarily fit into that central casting role of a head coach. You know, they're not the snarling guys who grab you by the face mask. And he was telling me that, uh, you know, he felt like there's a there's a time and a place to do that. But at some point, if you're yelling all the time, it just becomes noise, and the players just tune you out. And so, you know, 
you've got to be who you are. You got to coach within your own personality. Uh, but he said, that's the biggest thing, connecting with those guys on a personal level. That That's what he's trying to do every day. I thought that was interesting. I think all the coaches are doing that, you know, to some extent. Uh, but I think with Frank Reich, I, I think it's a guy, he was a pastor, you know, for years uh, before getting into football, uh, getting back into football. Uh, he raised three daughters. There, it's a lot of different things in his background than maybe the, the ordinary NFL coach. And, and he thinks, you know, a lot of that helps him. He tries to use that because it's all part of who he is and it's all part of how he connects with players. And connecting with players is an important part of the job. It's something that Frank Reich has mastered. We can only hope that Adam Gase will take some steps in the right direction in that regard in 2020. George Bremer, my man on the scene, over at the NFL Scouting Combine in Indianapolis, covering it for CNHI Sports and the Herald Bulletin. George, thanks so much for coming on again. We will do this again tomorrow. We've got you the rest of the week, so this will be a fun little series that we're doing because the NFL Scouting Combine, while to some looks a little bit like an outdated exercise, is actually very important, not only because of the workouts. I think just as much it's important because of the stuff that we're hearing during media days and even more importantly, the private meetings. So this is something to continue monitoring, and thankfully we've got George there to help us with that. George, thanks so much for coming on. For anybody who wants to read your notes from the Combine, wants to get a deeper look into your interview with Frank Reich, or just wants to read your general coverage of the NFL and the Indianapolis Colts, how can they find your work and how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all my work's at HaroldBolton.com. That's the best website to go in and, and read it. And, and obviously I'm on Twitter at GM Bremer. Uh, I've been a really busy week and I'm really looking forward to tomorrow because defense gets in here tomorrow. And it just seems like things always kind of pick up once those defenders get into the room. For sure. As Jim Ross would say, business about to pick up when these defensive players come into the room in Indianapolis tomorrow. And we will talk all about that with you, George. I'm looking forward to that. Before we run, just want to remind you real quick that if you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could do that for us, we'd really appreciate it. It's a great way to help out the show if you enjoy what we're doing. It doesn't cost you any money. It doesn't take you much time, but it helps us out a ton. So if you could do that for us, we'd be grateful. And also, do not forget to subscribe to the brand new podcast series, Badlands, with Joe Caparoso and Connor Rogers. Ten episodes, in-depth, commercial-free, great sound quality. Yesterday featured Matt Miller talking about the last ten years of Jets drafts and how they can fix it and get going in the right direction. Today's episode features Alex Jimo, who was the Jets team reporter in 2016. A mess of epic proportions, and she had a front row seat for it. She had some really fascinating stories about all of it, including poor Christian Hackenberg and what he was put through by the team and the media at the time. So go ahead, subscribe to that right now over on Podbean, or go to Twitter, at Jay Caparoso or at Connor J. Rogers, and you can find the information on how to subscribe there. We'll be back tomorrow to talk to George for day number three of the NFL Scouting Combine in Indianapolis. In the meantime, don't forget to go to the place where you can get the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcast, and you know where that is. It's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.